0: To see examples of what we talk about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdork.com.
1: Welcome, everyone, to
0: Two Dimension Podcast.
1: The comic book podcast with no direction.
2: Two Dimension. Two Dimension!
0: What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me today is the man who's given me the minute to be able to shovel food in my mouth before we start recording. It's the one and only Don Moore.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: (laughs) I'm feverishly shoveling food in my mouth because it just got done cooking and everything so that we can get this show a rolling.
1: Don... It's just us again, man. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Like, I, what's I, going on? I'm enjoying this. I mean, saying that, I'm enjoying the guests. That's been fantastic. But, I mean, I just like to hang out and talk comics. And it's been.
0: I know. I know. It, you know, and we've been very, very fortunate. All of our guests have been super freaking cool people. Yeah. Yeah. Who love to talk comics. Uh, great creators. And, but, no, it's just us again. It's time for us to sit back, relax,
1: and chew the fat about what are you reading, man? Well, I'll be honest with you, I've gone down a rabbit hole. <laughs> 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 There's no way you can put it. Um, back, it was before we were doing the show. I was in San Francisco, my wife has a lot of family there, and I have some friends from the Navy, and when I went to college with, Um, the college friends were all artists, all into comics, and so I have a blast, when I go there, I'm hanging out with friends from school, and we're hitting comic shops, and San Francisco has uh, the Cartoon Art Museum, which is, it's nice, and um, I used to be a member of it for a couple years back in, the early 90s, uh, before my daughter was born and right when she was born. And, um, anyway, I always visited, and in their gift shop, they had this. Oh, Batman manga? Yeah, Batmanga. And, um, Batmanga. Here's the back cover. Holy cow. Um, It says the the thing I saw it and it was like a is if you listen to the show you know when I was a kid I used to watch a lot of Japanese animated shows from the you know and when I lived in Denver Colorado and it always stayed with me that's why I draw the way I draw because I remember this style and this is Batman and Robin drawn in a it's a manga style, but it kind of has an American superhero look, but you can definitely tell it's a Japanese manga style of the, the 60s. Right. And the back cover, it says, This is Batman and Robin as you've never seen them before. In original Japanese stories from 1966 and 1967. 66 is when the Adam West TV show first came on. Written and drawn by manga master Jiro Kuwata. Collected and translated here for the very first time, more than 40 years after they originally appeared. Um, the shock was seeing this. I never heard of it, ever. And it was like chocolate and peanut butter, two of your favorite things put together. I mean, it made perfect sense. Um, if you were alive when the Adam West TV show came on, Batman was everywhere. Um, one of my favorite memories my mom and I walked to the convenience store in Lawton, Oklahoma. It's a store called Gagels. Gagels? Gagels. is what it's called. I I guess there was a chain around there. But we'd always go to get a treat or something, and they had a a comic spinner rack. I'd pick up comics to look at them. I was four at the time. And, um, I, they never really let me buy any. I think once or twice I got a, a comic there, but Anyway, at uh, giggles they had in the freezer section with the ice cream, it was the bat signal. The the bat emblem was chocolate cake, and then it had a round circle. Oh. Basically, it was a roll, and they just sliced them up, and they had them in cellophane. And Mom let me get one, and I just thought, this is the greatest thing in the world. It was banana ice cream with chocolate cake in the center, but it was the bat, bat signal. Um... All the kids my age just thought Batman was the living end. It was everywhere. Um, so anyway, I, could, I didn't know that it was a big thing in Japan, but it was. Um, Jiro Kawada, he did a, a manga, and it was, um, it was one of the first an- anime shows they brought over the United States. It was called 8-Man, number 8-Man. I've never seen the show. I've read about it on the internet. Um, it was a company called Translux, which I think was um, Joe Oriola started. Joe Oriola created Casper the Friendly Ghost for Paramount Animation. And uh, the reason why his daughter was afraid of the dark. So he created Casper the Friendly Ghost. And it was a series of cartoons. And later Harvey Comics you know, brought Casper over and eventually bought him. And um, but Joe Oriola also got Felix the Cat. Felix the Cat was from John Sullivan Publications or Productions, but it was a man named Otto Mesner that created him and animated him. And um, they were neat cartoons. I'd seen a bunch of them. Um, at Disney World, and they have a little Nickelodeon arcade, and they have nickel machines so you can see Felix the Cat Nickelodeon shows. They were clever. Nice. But anyway, um, in the 50s, Joe Oriola got the rights to it. I guess he bought it outright. And he redesigned Felix, and that's the Felix that people see now. It's kind of the same, but a little more rounder, and more, of all things, 60s anim- anime kind of style. Um, yeah. I grew up watching those. Those are some of my favorite cartoons in the world. Anyway, he had a company called Translux. The Felix the Cat cartoons were put out by that. Um, Speed Racer came out the same way, and um, it always he, it doesn't anymore. But he used to say Translux presents. Anyway, Ape Man got superpowers by smoking a cigarette.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Yeah.
1: Which, I guess, is why I've never (laughs) seen the show. Oh, my God. And I'll I'll have a link. You can find it online. I've never seen the episodes. I just read about it and thought, well, okay, um, I've never heard of it. But it was popular. Anyway, this book, the interior, when you open up the cover, it's just nothing but cards of Batman and Robin. They're kind of gaudy. Okay. Okay. And, um... Yeah, a lot of bright coloration. Yeah. But then it has the manga itself. It's in black and white. And it's strong. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's gorgeous work. absolutely. Now, they fight Clayface. They fight some of the American comic book versions. You can see Jiro Kawada looked at the American comic books. You know, it's got the Batmobile. It's just like the TV show Batmobile. Um but he's got aliens. What? He's got, um, characters that he created that have nothing to do with American comics, which actually I like. There's, um, there's a magician. Um, they, again, they remind me of Speed Racer villains.
0: So, here's the question. Was this legit Batman merchandise? Yeah. Or was this like Japanese bootleg at no, the time? No,
1: it was a bootleg. It was licensed. And it has, in between the stories, it has toys. Oh man, look at that. Like an old uh, metal wind-up toy. Yeah, they're all wind-up toys. And Epcot Center at Disney had a whole section. It was one of my favorite things. And the Epcot Center, they have a World Showcase in the back. And Different countries, you know, China has a really nice one with a 360 movie. Um, Mexico has a, a ride and it's in an Aztec pyramid and they have a really good Mexican restaurant inside. Um, yep. Canada has a 360 movie. Um, Japan had a, a Japanese steakhouse in it, which is rated five stars. And they had a, a pavilion and they had entertainment you know um, drummers acrobats you know um, comedians I say comedians they'd make wax figures and kind of kick people behind them it was cute but then they um they opened up a really awesome store years later that is just staggering um i went my favorite time they had a john Lasseter from pixar they had a little room, and they had 10 wind-up toys. When I was a kid, that was the main toy. If you went to any kind of grocery store, general store, they had those little friction toys, like a little car you, you yeah. pushed a couple yeah. times that went on. Um,
0: I think I may have been there around the same time when they had that stuff there. Right,
1: And John Lasseter, he had a videotape that they were showing, is explaining about you know, Japan was doing these. They were all spring-loaded toys. They showed how they were making them. They had films of, you know, it was usually ladies working in a factory making them. And they had a price point of 50 cents, which is most kids' allowance at the time. um, Right. But they had some that were elaborate. Uh, Tin Toys or something that I... I've got a couple, but, I mean, not from my childhood. Those never survived. (laughs) (laughs) And the one that used to freak me out was, if you had a car or they had Greyhound buses... It didn't make sense to me because if you looked in the front, it had windows. It had a, a cartoon man and woman looking. And if you turned it sideways, it had the man. If you turn it the other side, it had the woman. Okay, good enough. But it's like what? There's eight people here. <laughs> I didn't understand. You know, my my two and three year old mind didn't understand that it was the same people in different sections. You know, you're viewing through the windows because they were printed on the window, um, kind of embossed. Anyway. Mm-hmm. But it was neat. They had the whole tin toy section explaining all this stuff, and that's what they have in the book. Um, this is a book I really enjoyed, and they had a interview with uh, Jiro Kawada, a one page, and I'm going to say it was one page, but half the page was a photo of him, you know, in a room.
0: Oh man, that's it?
1: Yeah, and then they had a paragraph underneath, and they interview him. And I'm um, saying this, I. I liked the man. Uh, He seemed like a very understated man. But he's... Here's the thing. At one point he got upset and he tried to commit suicide. And that's against the law in Japan. They sent him to prison. (laughs) Yep. And I I just find it horrifying. So he went to prison and then he came back. But he was talking about um, Buddhism. I guess a lot of the stuff he did after that was all Buddhism. He really... You know, went the spiritual route with it. And um, Osamu Tezuka, who did Astro Boy, uh, did a Buddha series. It was eight books. I've got them. I liked it quite well. And they were talking to him about it. And he said, well, it was a fine series, but it really, it was more of a comic book story. It wasn't really talking about, you know, all the thoughts of the Buddha and stuff. You know, it was, I, I agree with him, but it was a series I really liked. But he was talking about manga and, you know, how they were doing it. And he was talking about, they all got really serious when Tezuka appeared. And he said he came with his A-game, and they all realized they are going to have to step up. And they started seeing what you could do with comics. I thought that was interesting. But they were talking about Batman. He did it for a year. So this this book, you know, this thick.
0: Yeah, that is a thick book. So how many pages are in
1: there? Uh...
0: You know. I mean, because it's a nice hardcover book. Yeah. It looks nice and thick, so it, it uh, that you know. And you said
1: this was a bootleg project. No, it was licensed from DC. Okay, so it was totally licensed and legit. Yeah. That it was, uh, but no, it was kind of forgotten. I never heard of it. And um, Chip Kidd is a really popular uh, designer, book designer. Who designed the Tezuka, um, Tezuka Buddha books? <laughs> a lot of books. Um, Batman, the animated series. They, they had a really nice book on the making of and history of it. And it was by Paul Dini, who was one of the writers. And everybody's read Paul Dini's work. He created uh, Harley Quinn with Bruce Timm. And mm-hmm. Chip Kidd was the, the other one. Uh, he's an editor. He's done a lot of comic work, um, cover stuff, and all that packaging. Um, some friends of mine went to Boston to a designer conference, and Chip Kidd was one of the key keynote speakers there. Anyway, after that, DC's put this out again as a paperback.
0: Oh yeah, both. You have well, the hardcover and the paperback.
1: My brother found it at a closeout store in Oklahoma. And, um, I gave it to my daughter, she read it, and when I saw her last time she said, uh, I read it, I don't need it. <laughs> so, okay. I, I took it, because, I don't know, it's a little different, and it's got a, a painting of Adam West on the cover. Oh. But, um, anyway, this this really brief interview with this man, Gerald Kawada, I talked about this in a really early episode of this show. And the thing that got me, there was two things he said. He did Batman for a year. And he said, you know what, what made you want to do Batman? And he said, well, I, I did Batman because I didn't do Superman. Wait a minute, what? They did Superman in Japan? Uh, DC Comics completely forgot about this. That Batman was done in Japan. Uh, Chip Kid's a big Batman fan. The other person did the book. Um, They found some of these books. I think at a a flea market. (laughs) Nobody knew. Uh, I bought this book. uh, This must have been 2007. (laughs) 2000, you know. Something like that. Anyway... Nobody was aware of it. Well, since then, DC's put these out. Well, this is another company, but DC put out a series of small trades, Batmanga, and there were sections of them. Um, and there's been a couple of modern manga artists that have done a couple of Batman series that you know I bought and really liked. I, we talked about the show way back in the past. Yeah. But I never got past I didn't do Superman. And at the time when we did the show... I couldn't find any information on Jiro Kawada except Eight Man. And again, it's no information on him, it's just the character Eight Man, who smoked a cigarette to get superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, smoking, when I was little, was. Kids weren't supposed to do it, but it was an accepted thing. Most everybody smoked, um, everywhere. You know, hospitals, restaurants, airplanes. Uh, it's It's hard to imagine now, but at the time, everybody
0: smoked. It's it's funny you say that, because I was watching something recently, an old an old movie, and uh, this one character, she lights up a cigarette, and the guy goes, don't you know that smoking is bad for you? Her response was, this is the same brand my doctor smokes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> On the advertisements, at, what was it, Tarrington, uh, most doctors that smoke always recommend this one. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: But, um... Yeah. Well, I one thing I learned when I was in high school was you know Sherlock Holmes smoked a pipe, and the yeah. teachers explaining to me that of course he would smoke a pipe because they thought smoking was healthy. Now of course this is a long time ago, but they said uh, they were trying to put out an image that the guy had a very logical, sound mind, and he smoked in the evenings. Well, he smoked all the time, but it was they thought it was a healthy thing. So you know. Um, things change as you go on. But the Superman thing is something I couldn't get past. I've thought about this, I've wondered, and on Facebook I saw somebody posted a a manga cover and it had Superman on it. But I thought it was a really awkward sissy looking Superman. He had really rosy cheeks, really blue eyes, you know, they're trying to make him look like an American, you know, but it wasn't. I don't know, it just. It looked like somebody on a stage play that had too much makeup, and you're not seeing him on a stage, you're seeing him in real life, and you're thinking, God, you're kind of. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know um, that's what he looked like. And uh, a lot of times in manga, it's like we were just showing on this, the covers didn't really reflect what was on the inside. Um, anyway, uh, there's a blog. It's we have it on the sidebar of our blog under uh, comics history called the Tom Brevoort Experience, and he had a story in it, and it was about the guy that did um, that did the Superman comic in Japan. So all this time, I've always wondered about that, and the comic was created by Yoshida. Tatsuo. Not ringing a bell.
0: I know that name.
1: You should. He created Speed Racer. Oh man! <laughs> and he created—I didn't know this either. He created G Force or Gotcha Man. Okay. And, um, All right. <laughs> um. He had um. I can't remember the name of that studio. They had a seahorse, and uh, they were the ones that did C- Speed Racer, a bunch of stuff, a bunch of really popular anime. And uh, but most Americans knew him because Speed Racer came over and was gangbusters here in the United States. And then Gotcha Man, which is, it was known in Japan, they brought it over in the late '70s, and it was called Battle of the Planets. And um, they added. Um, an R T D D two looking robot character that introduced each episode called Seven Zark Seven, and um, I watched it religiously. My little brother would always make fun of it, and he'd always he'd always quote Monty Python. You know how Monty Python always had the medieval looking animation, and they yep. have have the faces, and just the mouth would slide up and down. And my brother would always do that, like, "This is detrimental." <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just you know it was limited animation. Uh, when well, my daughter was small, they were showing a Cartoon Network, but they re-edited everything, and it's called G Force. And um, and the characters are different. In Battle of the Planets, the female character was called um, Princess. The the small guy, he was called Keop, and I guess because of Star Wars, he didn't really speak English. He just made sounds, you know, you know, and. All yeah. that. But he, I remember he would always say Princess when he'd refer to her. He could say that. And the, the big heavy guy was called Tiny. And, um, of course. Yeah. You know. Anyway, G-Force, my daughter was watching it. Princess was Agatha June. Uh, Ke-wa, Keop was Peewee. And he spoke English. And mm-hmm. Tiny <laughs> was called Hootie. Because <laughs> he was an owl anyway the guy did Superman um, he was licensed to do Superman and he did it for a year and he made a year's worth of pay which I guess was pretty substantial and when the year was over he, he left and he started um, I can't remember the name of the studio it's the one with C so I'll have it on the blog but he, hired, he brought in his two brothers, and they created this animation studio that also did manga. And it was one of the most successful studios in Japan. I mean, there's a lot of book, you know, cartoons that people know. Um, and Tom Brevoort has a bunch of those comics on his blog. Uh, I'll have this stuff linked up. But as exciting as I was about, about, about manga. The Superman manga I found bone crushingly disappointing because what he did he took the Wayne Boring Superman from the fifties and just kind of reworked them. I'm guessing he drew them. But Wayne Boring point Wayne Boring was a really good Superman artist. But I don't know I've seen some early work he did that I found staggering but the later work that I'd always see reprinted Superman had a really big mid-drift <laughs> I mean really big mid-drift and he got kind of lazy like everything looked windblown like like people's ankles were attached to the earth and when the wind blew they, they went one direction they were always kind of windswept, <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of a, a spare tire Superman leaning over and um, his earlier work wasn't quite pronounced. Uh, you know, a lot of times you kind of get used to drawing a certain way, and you know, inspiration's kind of gone, and you just kind of throw in. Anyway, the um, the Superman manga was basically looked like Wayne boring stuff, uh, which I didn't particularly care for. So anyway. Yeah. All these years, I finally found out who did Superman because I was just thinking, were well, they going to put out a Superman book? But anyway, the bot manga I find fantastic, and if you ever see in the big ones or even um, I liked it so much I was even thinking every time I see these little trades in the comic store I was going <laughs> to buy them, <laughs> but I thumb through them and thought, well, no, it's the same stories I've already got. And then I go in the store again. Well, you know, I I should you know. Anyway, I never did. There's there's a sickness to me. I should have just left it there for somebody else to get and enjoy, which I guess they have because I don't see them anymore. But if you see them, I highly recommend them. They're um, really nicely done. And if you like Batman to me, they're a little more faithful to what the Batman show was than what the American comics were. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, they weren't drawn silly. They were, um, my favorite one of these was a character called Go Go the Magician. But he looked like the weather wizard from the the Flash in the 1950s and 60s. He had kind of goggle visors and, um, he had a one piece suit. Yeah. And the story was neat. Um, Batman Robin's in the Batmobile and you keep seeing Go Go like flying over like a wind and sweeping around. And, um, he was playing with your senses, you know, as a a magician would do. When I was a kid, a lot of magicians would call themselves illusionists. And, um, but it's just, you know, when you see magicians, stage magicians, I just find them fascinating. My wife, anytime there's a magic show on TV, which they don't seem to show anymore, but she always wants to see it. When I was a kid, I just thought they were the greatest. But then you start seeing some of these guys like Penn and Teller start showing you how the, how it works. And again I well, made a joke about bone crushingly disappointing. But, but
0: Penn and Teller have never, to my knowledge, shown how tricks work, but they
1: do have that show uh fool us. Oh yeah, they do. And I, I shouldn't have said them. I, the reason I say that was there was one show I can't it was a podcast to listen to, and the guy was talking about some history of some trick and people were trying to figure out how to did it. And then they had um, the big guy from Pin i don't know which one is which—but the okay. one that talks. But he—he okay. he came on and he was talking. He finally told him, "I can tell you what, how he did it." He says, "But what makes magic fantastic is the aha moment." And he says, "Once you find yeah. out how it was, you can't okay. go back, and it's just so disappointing." Um, a friend of mine had a book on how Harry Houdini made all of his escapes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's just you know. You're seeing how he did yeah. it, and it's just it's not it's fantastic. Saying that, I just saw a video clip on Facebook. A guy showing you how they do the tricks, but he's doing them like a stage magician. Even though he's showing you how to do them, he's still doing all the the movements yeah. and the, and to me that was exciting. It's um.
0: When see, you see, I've never cared for those shows that show off how the trick is done because. It's not, the theater of the the trick is is more important.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, when you went to the circus, a trapeze artist, I always started noticing, I made a joke about this in my job. The trapeze artist, you'd have a couple of people on trapeze swinging up and down, and you had those, those poles with everybody, you know, all the other trapeze artists there on the stand. And every time they do a catch and they come by, all the people on the stand would jump up in the air and land on that stand. Which is not much, but they were doing something. It made it more exciting. Yeah. And I just suggested at work, we should be more like that. So when somebody passes an ad, everybody should jump up from their station in the air with their arms up in the air and come back down. When okay. you complete a job, everybody jumps up. You pass the job off to the next person. Everybody jumps again, does a flourish work would be a lot more exciting. Uh, get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, um, reading about Bat manga with Go-Go the Magician, all the stories were pretty neat, but that one was the one that just stayed with me. But, um, right. anyway, I just, the whole Speed Racer thing came up. I, I didn't realize, um, there was that connection. Um, Speed Racer had a manga. Um, now comics, oh, yeah. yeah. Now comics in the '80s, they put out. Um, they were kind of really cheap trades. I think they were like two, two fifty, and they were kind of done on not newsprint that the main mainstream publishers are putting on, but kind of that white, cheap news. You know, the the higher grade newsprint.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and it was white. It's still correct. Oh, yeah. so crap. But now, yeah now comics, they did a trade and a Mitchell Connell. Um, he did the cover for it. But I went to a store in Tampa and these guys were talking about Speed Racer. And they said he has a machine gun. And I picked it up and it was, it was the, the original manga work by the creator. It had some spot illustrations. I bought it. I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Um, I met a guy I worked with that was... He didn't like comics, but he loved Speed Racer. He was into cars. He worked on cars. And, um, he always did me a couple of solids, so I gave him the book. And he said, are you sure? He was acting like it was gold. Which it was. And I said, no, I don't mind. So I gave it to him. It was one of those things where I just felt he should have it more, but then I always regretted it. Well, fast forward, I'm at Yancey Street by Rook's house. They had a dollar box. <laughs> <laughs>
0: dollar box score, baby. And
1: then I went there another time at Yancey Street again and they had the second one that I didn't know existed in the dollar box. So, <laughs> I was really happy. Um, they're done in, the, again, the old Astro Boy kind of style. Um, I love them. Turns out, Speed Racer was originally a pilot in the manga. And then they reworked and reworked it. Um, in Japan... I always wonder why he had a G on his uh, shirt. <laughs> because the show was called Mock Go Go Go, and his name was Go <laughs>
2: And
1: uh, So it was a Mufuni family that had it. And um, So, anyway, a bit of speed. I never knew that there was ties to Superman from Speed Racer and Batman. But, anyway, Batmanga, highest recommendation. And um, you can see the things around. They're they're still available. Uh, just pick them up. You know. Anyway, that's, that's my rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a music break, and I'm gonna come back with uh, something connecting to a previous episode. There we go. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com
2: and click, click on the Cyclops. Your dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, that was Gray Market. They're a band here in the Tampa Bay area that I really like, um, and they're still doing music. You can go see them, and you can find them on the, the link that I'm posting, and I highly recommend them, so give them a listen. Anyway, back to you, Rook.
0: Alright, man. Well, let's, let's jump back to a previous episode, shall we? And this was an episode I unfortunately had to miss, but it sounded really interesting, so I jumped on the Kickstarter and I received it recently. It's Path of the Pale Rider, oh, yeah, Never the Lori
1: you book.
2: Yeah,
0: man, it, it sounded like a really cool interview. She was uh, very interesting, and then, um, of course, you guys had a had a conversation afterwards as well. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something, man. The preview pages that we got, yeah. We're not the beginning of the book. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so a little peek behind the curtain here. When when somebody asks us if uh, they can come on the show and talk to us about their project, of course, we always ask for samples. right? And sometimes we get a whole book, and yeah. then other times we get sample pages. Yeah. And I think they gave us, what, like eight sample pages?
1: Yeah, I think it was a cover, seven pages and a cover.
0: Okay. So... You know, when we got it, the way it kind of fell out, I thought, okay, maybe this is like the beginning of the book or something. That's what I. No, thought. that's like the midpoint. Like that's like <laughs> midway through. You see the staples, okay? That's yeah. the middle point of the book that we got. So let me start at the beginning, okay? First off, the special the special thanks to page. Nice. They put everybody's name in the design of a skull. Oh wow! All of those are names. Look at that. Look at that. How cool is that?
1: That is awesome.
0: What a neat way to do the thank you page, man. I just, I thought that was so freaking cool. Uh, uh, so we start out this book, it's ten years uh, into the apocalypse, and we start with our main character, you know, riding the horse. Um, and, you know, uh, y- you'll, you notice that he's got this piece on his chest, and... Yeah. he runs he runs into a kid that just kind of pops up out of nowhere and he immediately tells the kid hit it and the kid taps the piece and it shows that he's got a heartbeat that he's alive so you know uh, it it immediately puts you into this position of okay this guy is on guard he is like ready to shoot he's he's, he's dangerous he can be dangerous um, you know we follow through um, into everything and you know Jude goes and passes by meets some people and then he ends up you know with the glass that uh, was on the preview pages so the one thing I can say is the book ended quickly and I just kind of went what the hell so it just like I got to the end of the book I'm like damn it man that's it that's all I get I gotta wait for another issue so that is uh, she did a fantastic job putting it on a cliffhanger and you know letting you stew there at the end Um, the art is beautiful uh, throughout the book Uh, it's mostly line work okay Um, minimal work as far as shade in certain spots and things like that um It's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous book, Um, good quality. Um, The amount of stuff that came with this book, too, by the way, um, I'm not sure what the funding exactly was that I kicked on it, uh, but I got two copies of the book. Uh, I've got my read copy, which I was just showing you, Hmm. and I've got an autograph copy. I also got a bunch of stickers, a keychain, and a nice cool t-shirt with the chess piece on it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the back of the shirt says Path of the Pale Rider on it. So, um, I, think I, I think I 100% got my money's worth out of kick-starting this. Um, but leaves me in a position where I'm like, well, now i got to kickstart the rest of these books so I can find <laughs> out what the hell happens here.
1: <laughs> you know, there's a couple of things on that thinking. Um, I, like you said, I thought that was the beginning of the book. Um, and that, uh, to me... It kind of tells the power of the storytelling to it because, yeah. Now that you mention, it, I can see it in the middle. Um, yeah, it's I mean, um,
0: so the pa- the panels we're talking about that we received to uh, for review and to to check out. There's not a lot of text going on in it. It's it's very visual and and motion uh, oriented in regards to what's happening. Uh, with Jude um, so you know uh, there's certain aspects like he he puts the covers on the, the horse's uh, the horse's feet in order to make sure that he, you know it doesn't make a lot of noise and things um, you know so that, that those panels I don't know why but I really thought that that was the beginning of the story yeah. Uh, for the for the issue, but this is real. It was really just the middle. And let me tell you something. Uh, zombie bear,
1: not cool, bro. Not cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know the conversation that I, we had. I was really surprised. He, I had an idea. Um, when Rook was talking about sending work in, we we like to get a sample so we know what we're talking about. And, uh, and so, like I said, the seven pages was enough. It, it But I came in with this idea. I was completely wrong. And during the conversation, it took a turn a few times. She told me a few other bombs. Like, Wait a minute, what? I wasn't expecting this. Um, I was basically tripping over myself the whole conversation because she just kept pulling the rug out from under me constantly. Um, and... As far as artwork goes, it's black and white artwork, and I don't... Well, it's not true. Uh, Love and Rockets, Yusagi Jimbo, they're stark black and white, but a lot of times I see black and white art, and I think, you know, this could use some... It it needs some gray tones to give it a little bit of depth. This one, I didn't find needed it. It seemed like it was detailed where it needed to be and simple where it needed to be, and I just found it pleasing.
0: Yeah, I I think... It's oh, it's easy to overwork artwork. Yes, and and uh, the artist on this, uh, Marco, I'm gonna kill this last name, DeFilio. God man, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right, <laughs> Marco DeFilio. You know, uh, the line work here is it's detailed. It's got a lot of you know. E- e- there's no need for color. there's no need for uh, dense gray shading. Um, the line working that's done here, the art that's done here is so detailed. So you can I mean it, the, the, the way he draws Jude's beard, the way he draws you know the shirt, I can tell it's a flannel shirt without even thinking about yeah. it you know. Um, the, when he stops and puts the boots on the on the horse, uh, I can tell exactly what those are. Yeah. You know, um, you know. So the artwork in here is just absolutely. It, it gets the points across and lets you know what you're looking at, what you're what you're reading. Um, the dialogue is easy to read. It's it's you know it's clean. Uh, like I said, absolutely fantastic work on this book. Um, I'm very pleased. Um, the only the one the one complaint I got right now is that in the back of the book there's a crossword puzzle. And I ain't writing in the damn book, man. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. <laughs> I just I can't I can't bring myself to write in the book. I just can't do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're the same animal. You know, it's the thing. I remember when I was a kid a lot of shoe stores that give you, they were called Marcha Comics, but they were little tiny comic books, um, little square ones, and all they were were just reprints of Gold Key Comics, you know, the Pink Panther, Woody Woodpecker, stuff like that, but I love getting them, and I remember I had a Russ Manning Tarzan, and I would get them when i get new shoes, and I'd always keep them with me. One time, my cousin read the Tarzan, he goes, he's looking, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a pencil, because he was going to do the um, the dot to dot puzzle. <laughs> not in yeah. the comic book, you're not. You know, and but that's the thing. When you got a comic book, a lot of the kids' comics, they always has crossword puzzles, things you could cut out. You know, you know, the dot to dots yeah, were really fun. Pop- yeah, it made sense. It was a nice package. But I'm not, <laughs> you're not cutting out of my comic.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember. Um, <clears throat> I think it. I don't remember if it was Mad Magazine or Cracked. That that the I think it was the back cover you used to be able to fold over. Oh Mad, Mad magazine. Yeah. Answer. Yeah. I would get annoyed with people that would actually crease the folds. Oh. Yeah. Uh, be like, you can tell what it is, you don't need to crease the fold, man. Stop. See I
1: when I was a kid I saved Mad Magazine, but they always had the, the back folded. Um you had to. Um yeah, Al Jaffe did those, you know, and, um, he, he turned 100, and he just retired, um, he did those, um, many, many years, uh, I was really shocked when I realized, um, he was, I saw those in the 60s, and, um, he was doing them all the way up to 2000, well, we were doing the show, ha, <laughs> ha. Well, yeah. he, he finally retired from it. So what was from the 60s all the way up to 20, 2015, possibly? That's a lot of fold-ins. <laughs> and they were, I don't know, I just found them amazing. I always wondered if they ever did a book like nothing but mad fold-ins.
2: Oh, that would be a cool book.
1: But, yeah, you know, if if you're listening to the show and you don't, I can't imagine anybody not knowing, but the mad fold-ins, it would... You see a picture of something. One of them was a factory, and it'd have a, a question at the bottom, and then it'd say fold A to B, and you'd fold it over, and it'd have a, the one I'm seeing the factory had an image of a baby. It turned into in the bottom and the, the letters, which I found phenomenal, just mystifying. It would have the answer. It was the paragraph <laughs> you fold it in to tell you the answer. So how's he coming up with this? Kind of unique. Anyway, Rook was showing me stickers he got from Pale Rider.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, we got stickers, we got t-shirts. Here, hold on, let me get back to the stickers, I can show you those again real quick. Um, So, we got a couple of stickers. um, uh, Jude uh, losing the glass. Oh, neat. And -hmm. then we got Jude and Prince. Yeah. And then uh, uh, we got the the keychain, Path of the Pale Rider. <laughs> that's kind of neat. And then, uh, as I mentioned, there's that T-shirt. So yeah, uh, um, that, that that's the dead one. You know, no no heartbeat going on there. And then the back of the
1: shirt has Path of the Pale Rider right on it. Kind so, of artistic. I mean, it's yeah. you know. It, I asked her, one question I had was, are you going to, when you finish this, are you going to put them in trades? And she said, yes. Um, I think those would make wonderful trades.
0: I think it will make an absolutely brilliant trade because, like I said, I got to the end of this book, and I just sat there going, ha, ah, <laughs> yeah. that's it? Yeah. So, you know, you, you. I, I, I want to see what the heck, you know, f- f- uh, I want to talk, but I don't want to give things away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: and Like I said, you know, um, when she sent the seven pages in the cover, um, that was enough to get a feel for the book, knowing that I wanted to read it more. I wanted more. Yeah. But again, when she was on the show and telling things, like, wait a minute, I did not see that coming. Um, yes. I was a deer in headlights the whole time she was on.
0: <laughs> world. I mean, she's got a whole world, a whole universe going on inside of her head for this storyline, and it's freaking brilliant. Hmm. I love it. I mean, that, that's just... That's the kind of creativity that... Really takes it to the next level, yeah. you know. And of course, there's uh, in the book there's all the social media feeds, the Twitter, the Instagram, e- uh, Facebook, all of it, all of it's out there. Uh, you know, you just search "Path of the Pale Rider," you can find it. Everybody, trust me, you're not going to regret it. It's, uh, you know. And let's talk cover art for a second. I mean, look at how beautiful that cover art yes. is. You know, it's beautiful cover art. Uh, the sticker on the uh, the the sticker that holds the back. Oh you know, yeah! Closed. Yeah, the plastic. The plastic's this little skull sticker with a rune on it. So you know, it's a it's a it's uh it looks like it's a bind rune with an aroboros uh encircling it. Mm. So yeah, um, uh there's a lot of symbolism in the book. Hmm. Lot of symbolism, and um, I'm catching bits of it each time I go back through. So, um, I'm interested to know where she's going with this. Uh, you know, uh, I, I got a feeling there's deeper meaning behind a lot of stuff that's written into this book.
1: You know, one thing I kept asking her, and I asked this on with every guest we have, if you're working with somebody else, was, and I, I, I sometimes I think maybe... I'm coming across like I'm trying to dig dirt out, like if they were getting along. I, I'm not, but <laughs> I find it interesting and some of them have answered it this way, like you have an idea of what you want and then um when it comes back or something different. You know, it's different people working on it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden sometimes sometimes it's like well no, this isn't what I wanted and there's a reason why. But other times, it's like, wait a minute, I didn't see this. This is a good idea. And, they, you know, it's kind of um, you know, every, it's a free-form thing that sometimes you don't know where it's going to take you. Um, when you talk about, you know, your your role-playing, same thing. Sometimes things came up, and you go, well, I didn't think of that. You know, but I had asked her this, and every time I said, was there a time where you got something back and it wasn't what you wanted or, you know, and she goes, no, no, no. Um, she seems to have a very clear strong clear idea of what what the story' about and she's she, well, the way I took it she's able to convey this to the other creators and so when she gets it back they they absolutely know where the story's going and what's it about but just the seven pages we saw I thought I want to read more and even <laughs> She kept dropping bombs. I mean, wow, I wouldn't expect... This is completely opposite of anything I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, but. exactly. I mean, like I said, uh,
0: just in the conversation you had with her, uh, you got the impression that there's a lot more happening. Uh, in the book, going through it a couple times, uh, there's little, little bits that I notice. I don't know if I'm trying to read too much in. Uh you know, of course there's the puzzle on the back there's the the, the riddle on the back that you got to solve which uh I'm not telling you <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well she um, she did talk about the puzzles. You know when we were talking she she brought that up.
0: Yeah, the puzzle on the back is uh it's 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 pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, she talked. I, I'll tell you. Everything we just talked about. Don't ever play cards with Lori you because she's always <laughs> 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 she, she's um it seemed like she's always several steps ahead and she she's in charge. Um what Rug mentioned we got off the off the show. I she she and I talked for a long time. Um she was very gracious, but I we were just talking we were talking about martial arts. We we're talking about um texas <laughs> you know we just talk about all kinds of stuff and um i thought that's there's always a lot more to it um I, i'm glad you got that yeah it's one thing you always a lot of the guests you've always supported their kickstarters you know um, yeah,
0: i i try and support as many of the kickstarters as possible if not all of them um you know um whether they go through or not um you know i try and put my piece in. Um, you know, a lot of these people are putting their heart and their soul into these yeah. into these books, and you know, I, I feel like, especially after talking to them, it, you know, you feel the passion, you feel the drive behind it. And Lori was one that I couldn't be here for; hmm. uh, I, I didn't get to be on the show, but I got to listen to to the conversation y'all had, and. It was just like you know. There's so much more here. Yeah. There's you know. So um, the 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 Kickstarter that you know, like I said, I got the T-shirt. I got two copies, one autographed by uh, by both creators. Um, I got the keychain, the stickers. Um, there's a postcard in the back of the uh, back of the book. Um, you know, it's a ton of cool stuff, and I want to say I only dropped like. Well, what did I drop? God, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go and check my Kickstarter feed now and, and find out what I what I put in on this because I don't want to I want to say it wasn't very much.
1: Yeah, but you felt like you got more than your. Oh, money's I, got worth. Yeah.
0: I got my value. I got my value, man. Yeah, one hundred percent.
1: Nice, nice. Well, uh,
0: I, I uh I pledged the fifty. I pledged the fifty dollar pledge. Yeah. So you know hmm. so. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's one thing I will say, I've been very pleased with all the Kickstarters that uh, I've been on. Um, you know, I know there's, uh, there's some conversation about some problematic things with Kickstarter and, um, and the way that they're going to be funding in the future. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, that's, you know, that's for creators to decide. I know um, Dave Baker, um you know, I posted it to the Facebook group, um, put out a list of various things that you can fund on a different uh, platform hmm. uh, Bigfoot Knows Karate should be coming back on for Kickstarter again soon uh, issue two of that I think October September October I'll have to double check on that one hmm. but, you know, that's that's another one that uh, you know I'm looking forward to seeing seeing more of um, you know uh, Hunter's Tale absolutely loved that piece. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Purple Eyes. I was really just dis- disappointed that one didn't go through. It really was.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, uh, and then um,
1: Jason and uh, Olympians didn't either.
0: Yeah, Jason and the Olympians didn't either. So uh, you know, I talked uh, to I talked to um
1: was Barry Hill, was it Shane Barry Hill,
0: Shane Barry Hill.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I asked him about that, because I was really interested in that project. I mean, all the projects I'm interested in, but that one was kind of close to home. And you told me you didn't make it. And I talked to him, I asked, he said, well, it didn't, but it's not dead in the water. He's taking another avenue. Which I'm glad, because that was really neat. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was. So, well, it is. I mean, it, it'll still be out. Yeah. But,
0: yeah I, oh yeah it, it needs to be absolutely needs to be i i i, I uh, the jason and the olympians that that hit home on a lot of different levels like you know the mythology the yeah. uh voltron-esque portions the just <laughs> so uh, the space travel you know so yeah definitely hit home for me on a lot of different different levels on that that one i'm looking
1: forward to that so, yeah, it's really strong between the writer and artist too. Um, I liked what I saw.
0: Yeah, and then Purple Eyes. I'm I'm hoping he comes back and try and takes another shot at that again. Um, oh, here's one um, uh, on Kickstarter. It's Hot and Messy, the art of Amanda Connor. The art bu- It's an art book hardcover. Uh, that one looks really cool. It's already fully funded. Uh, and still has eight days to go on that <clears throat> uh, for anybody who doesn't know um, uh, Jimmy and, uh,
1: Jimmy uh,
0: oh god I'm going to blank on his last name tell me, tell me. Tell me. thank you and Amanda Connor our local right here in the Tampa Bay area um, they they used to do signings at the comic book shop all the time great people amazing people so re- really nice really nice people Uh. You know, this is one of the fun things I got to tell you about Kickstarter is just getting on here and just kind of floating around, looking in, checking it out, seeing what's out there. Um, uh, The hot and messy, uh, the the art book. You can get a digital version for twelve bucks, an unsigned copy for thirty five, and then you get the signed copy for forty seven. I mean, heck, that's awesome. And then the 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 pledges you can put in just go up from there on, on more and cooler stuff. So mm. yeah, uh, yeah, man. It Kickstarter is a lot of fun to just kind of just roll around on and check out, see what's new, uh, you know, what's out there. And of course, there's a lot of D and D stuff on there for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
2: man. Huh.
1: Oi. Well, <laughs> uh. Well, we haven't talked about Free Comic Book Day. The past Free Comic Day on the show because of all the guests. But um, oh, we didn't. No, well, and it's a good problem to have, but I went to I went to Yancy Street South. And I was kind of I was in the air about it because You know, you know, you couldn't go. And, I mean, a lot of, to me, I like Free Karma Big Day, but a lot of the fun is seeing your friends and hanging out, you know, and stuff. And I went the year before alone, and I I got stuff, but I thought, I don't know. Um, Ended up, my wife wanted to go because there's a Filipino market right next to the store, and she wanted to get some stuff, so, all right, so we went. Um... There it didn't seem to me like there was any free comic books I saw on the list that I was really interested in getting. But, I changed my mind. I, I got yeah. them. And I enjoyed them. But one that really shocked me <laughs> was, um, The Inkle Universe. Oh, wow. Now,
0: really? I didn't know that was out there.
1: Yeah, well I saw it on the list, you know, but I, you know, And here's the back cover.
0: Gorgeous. Which is drawn... That's what I would expect from Inkle, though.
1: Yeah. Well, that was the end of the the Mobius-drawn Inkle. um, But this is a... It's a different drawing of it by somebody else. But I was... um, The Inkle is a Mobius story. You know, to me, I've read... The other, you know, before the ankle and after the ankle. Uh, I like before the ankle quite a bit. After the ankle, it was fine. Uh, the artwork is really good, but they're not Mobius, and um, which you know, it's not fair to say. It's like saying the guitar is not Jimi Hendrix, or you know, you know what you compare it to a band you really love, and it's not not that band. But who's the writer in this? Um, they got a. Mark Wade. Mark Wade's the publisher of uh, Humanoids now. And the whole thing, it's nicely put together. I really love this book. It has um, how it's put together, and they're talking about the the visionary writer, filmmaker, poet, Alejandro Jordiowski. And they tell about him. And then they kind of briefly give you a, a synop, illustrated synopsis on the Inkle. And, uh, I didn't think I would like it because I mean, I've got, I had the story memorized. I, I bought this in heavy metal. I bought the three books, uh, Epic comics put out in the eighties, which prized possessions. I bought the giant slipcase, which I showed the rook. Um, I must have read this thing three hundred times, and it's one of those books. Every time you get it and you read it, it's there's more to it. It's not like oh, I've read this already. It's just it sucks you in. It's you know, Mobius is the master cartoonist. And oh yeah, it's
0: a, Mobius is. I mean, he is a genius at detail.
1: Yeah, and even when he works simply. And the thing is, yeah. he, he never phones it in. Now, as the strip went on, the the book sometimes, his approach changed. Some of them, you could tell when he moved to the United States, because he started working, it was still Mobius, you could tell, but his page layouts got a little more dynamic. And he said he was going into his own... Um, sun's room and pulling out his sun's america comics and he was kind of using some of those as a reference and one thing he said to it was it didn't matter the comic and it didn't matter how badly drawn some of them were but they were always full of energy and had a, a dynamic to them and he was kind of pulling it out but in some sections of the story they got a little simpler than it was at the beginning and then of course he you know he, sometimes your style changes as time goes on. But it was still consistent, it was still Mobius, and he never stopped coming up with just brilliant things, brilliant landscapes, brilliant spaceships, brilliant creatures, brilliant co- uh, character designs, um, and Jordiowski the story was just, it was something. Anyway, this whole book, it's a synopsis telling the story, and the thing is the inkle is a massive tome. And if I tried to explain to somebody all the, the sections of the inkle and what was going on, I could tell you some of it, but I, I started tripping over myself and making no sense and people started to go to sleep or just fade phase out. <laughs> this one Mark Wade is brilliant at basically telling you what it was about and what I loved about it. Concise, interesting. And then uh, it's just you know maybe six eight pages and after that, it's telling you about other projects they got. Really? And um, Mark Wade is really good at um.
0: So he was able to break break the ankle down in a kind of just a condensed overview in six to eight pages.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That seems impossible to me.
1: I'll just read part of it. It's um, narrated, but it says, In the end, it never pays to be an opportunist. This is Class R detec- Private Detective John DeFoe of the Planet Terra 2014. It is not his first plunge down Suicide Alley. And the ankle, it starts out with him being thrown off of um, Suicide Alley, which is basically a city shaft, you know. Right. Everything's underground. Which I found staggering when I read that back in 1981. And, um, this is the first time he'd been flung towards the great acid lake by the authorities in an attempt to in- intimidate him. Covetous, they believed John had accidentally come into possession of a precious artifact that could determine the fate of the universe. They were half right. John had, in fact, blundered across a mysterious living crystal called the Luminous Inkle. But despite its ability to generate great power within its holder, the artifact was incomplete. You know, I mean, it just explains about yeah. all this. I mean, the thing was, John DeFoe was, I mean, they kept calling him, what, a class, was a class B detective? Class D detective? Um, a class R, private detective.
2: It's <laughs> even lower than that. Class
1: R. <laughs> but, you know, he just seemed like a... He was a shifty kind of person that never seemed to think about anything except just kind of getting by. He was always going and getting holo sluts, you know, the prostitutes. Um, he wasn't thinking two hours ahead. <laughs> Any time in his life and um he <laughs> was small change. Uh nevertheless I liked him, you know, and um and I knew there was all these creatures after him. You know, there was a there was a mutant, there was the Bergs, um it just seemed like somebody's popping out of the shadows trying to get something that nobody knew what it was. And it just kept building and building and building and I mean I just went for the ride, but he is explaining about, you know, what the Inkle is and what, I found, i tell you, when I finished, I thought, this is, I'm really happy I got this, um, it even has the back, it has more, you know, Kill Wolfhead, one of the main characters in it, it had the, the wolf's head, which I never really yep. understood, but I love the character, it has the reading order, uh, the Inkle reading order, it has, a uh, the first one, the Inkle, which is the Mobius work. Greatest comic book mm-hmm. in the world, according to me. And then, before the Inkle, and then after the Inkle. Sure. Uh, yeah. Before the Inkle... Listen, to my voice cracked. They're all written by Jordiosky, but the second one is uh, art by Zorin Janjekatov. Jen- I'm not pronouncing it correctly. I never really bought these. I found a couple in a dollar box. Um a good friend of mine was buying the issues. I think it was 12 issues. And every time she'd get one, she'd bring them to me to read. Um, I was asking my buddy Britt about it, if he was reading them. And he was, but he wasn't... I was really enjoying these. And when I asked him about it, he says, Well, they're good. Basically, it just tied down to, they're not Mobius. And I'm saying that, that's not a fair thing to say. And he wasn't meaning it that way, but what it was, is the Inkle really covers a lot of really hard facts. You know, um, I just told you about John the Fool. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a really questionable person. And <laughs> <Yeah>. there, <laughs> there's a lot of questionable things that come up in this. I mean, they touch, but when the other artist does them, they're fantastic, but it seems like a really bad seedy world that you don't want to go to. For some reason, when yeah. Mobius did it, there was a light. You could always see a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you could see the beauty and everything, even though some of the things were really bad. Um, after the Inkle, uh, Ladrone did it. Well, that's... After the Inkle, it was drawn by Mobius, which is something... I've actually I would like to get this book. Um, I I got digital files of it. The thing was he was supposed to do the end, and then he realized how much work it was going to be, and he was entering the end of his life, which turned out to be true. So he stopped. He just did one section. The Inkle in 1981. I found it. It was um I didn't see. I was in college, so I didn't always see heavy metal. But I came home for Christmas and a comic store had a Mobius special from Heavy Metal. And it was a little graphic novel. And it had the first chapter of the Inkle in it. Mm -hmm. uh, Which in the epic trades would have been the half of the first trade. And I thought, this is everything I ever wanted to see in a comic book. And then it had other stories. It had White Nightmare and a bunch of other Mobius stories and illustrations and articles about him. Federico Fellini did the introduction the filmmaker but anyway, After the Inkle is the same size as that Mobius special um, and that's when they brought in Ladrone and he did uh, the final Inkle, which I have read it's it's well drawn but I don't know, I didn't particularly care for the story but there's a lot of they got <laughs> oh. 11 books here, I know you and Dallas have talked about Meta Baron's which I've never read they got um meta barons Genesis Kestaka, the Med meta barons first cycle weapons of the meta Baron the meta second cycle cycle simak Megalex, and the techno priests <laughs> um, yeah,
0: huge man it, yeah. it's a massive undertaking
1: it's um it's all George Um, I I was really happy (laughs) getting that. Um, I think they're doing a good job. I'm just happy they're keeping Moby's Inkle in print because everybody should read that. Um, If you only read one, it's enough. I mean, I've read that one. I haven't read Meta I've read most of Before the Inkle and I liked it. And um, when I see it in the dollar box, I always pick it up. If if I would have seen the books at the time, I would have bottom off the stands. But um <laughs> anyway, yeah it was a it was a nice free comic book day. Uh, that store was busy and um they had a table outside with the books and they had them color coded. Um I didn't know this. Like this one the free comic book day is red. They have some that are blue and some are green. Red's adult, which of course is the Inkle. Ah, I never
2: gotcha.
1: knew that. And they had a key up on the wall, you know, where the the.
0: the I wonder if were. that's something that was new recently, or if that's something that they always did and I just never noticed it.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm with you. I have noticed different colors because they used to always be blue, but they yeah. have they have green, blue, and red. But this time, um, I I don't know if I saw it online. But I think he had a key in front of the you know, on the wall outside the store by the table. And he had the books divided on the table. You know, one section was, you know, I can't remember which one the other ones were, but there's blue, green, and red. And, um, it just said, you know, take, um, I think it was, I think he could let you get, yeah, four books. So, um, I got four books and I went to the store and I heard him talking to, um, some of the people come by. He says, "No, just just take the four books and you can go. You didn't have to go in the store and tell them you're getting books." He's, I heard him. He, you know, one guy was asking. He says, "No, the whole idea is to get people to read." Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, That's that the whole to point count. of
0: Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. It's like here, have yeah. some books, read these, yeah. come back because we know you're gonna like it.
1: Right, and he's trying to get the interest. And he said, "I'm not. You know, you don't have to purchase anything." And I said, you're welcome to come and, you know, you know, look around if you like, but you can just take the books. There's no obligation. And yeah. um, he said something to somebody, oh, yeah, bring them over, you know, and so they can take the books. And um, there was, like I said, that place is packed, and there was three guys talking, um, and I was trying to get by them to uh, look in the section. There were guys around my age, and they were all excited talking about stuff, all holding books. And they were saying, uh, all right, real quick, uh, first comic story you ever saw. <laughs> and, you know, and they were calling out, you know, um this store in say nineteen eighty one or you know. And um I don't know, I thought it was neat when they saw me, I said, all oh, excuse me, and they were jumping out of my way. And I said, it's, it's you're fine, not a problem. Everybody was nice. as crowded as the store was, they had some creators. And um it was really good. I um I wasn't aware of this. They're putting the Marvel Masterworks out in these little tiny trades. Really? Yeah, well, not That's little tiny, but they're they're well, smaller I mean, but they're... they're smaller than a comic book Yeah But the one uh. I'm showing Rook is uh, Doctor Strange Master of the Mystic Arts I I bought all the Fantastic Fours that Jack Kirby did in the Marvel Masterworks the hardbacks and um, I've always wanted to get Steve, Steve Ditko's Doctor Strange and um, this one Marvel Masterworks it's really expensive. I guess they're sold out. They're out of print. And uh, you tried to find them online, they're, they're far more money than I'm ever going to spend on one. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, so they had this one. Um, I guess there's a second one, because this isn't all the stories. But I bought this, and I bought um, a Jack Kirby Thor, the first one. There's all the Journey the Mystery stuff. And he had a couple of those, but he had several. I think he had the Hulk. He had, um, you know, I, I I bought two of them and, um, when I was paying for them, he goes, Oh, those things are great, aren't they? Oh yeah. I'm going to be back to get the other ones. They're reasonably priced. You know, he had a big sale and, um, my wife and I went to eat somewhere and I kept thinking about going back in and buying some more. (laughs) So. Nice. Anyway. Yeah. It's, um, highly recommended, um. Free comic book day is the first week first Saturday in May. Um, it hasn't been that way in a couple of years, but it went back to that. Hopefully it'll hopefully, hopefully it'll, stay it'll stay that stay way. <laughs> but yeah, as everybody knows the, as the world we live in now, it's kind of a fluid thing and you know you don't want to expect, but hey, that kind of makes life interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, Alright, so that's it. Well, listen. um, If you like to draw, we're always looking for comic book covers to announce a new episode on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Um, a lot of times when people send them, say, well, I don't think you're going to like this. I'll like it. Uh, everybody likes them. Everybody always comments on them. Everybody enjoys them. Um, we can't pay you for it, but if you allow us to, we'll add it to the cover gallery of the blog. Um, we've got quite a few, which I really enjoy, and I really enjoy the different approaches people take to them. Uh, we always have a music break on the show, unless we have a guest, as you heard today. Uh, if you have any kind of recording and you made, and you wouldn't mind us playing it, we would sure, certainly appreciate it, and we'll add it to the music play, the music page on the blog, and we'll have a link, um, to whatever you have linked your music to. Anyway.
0: Hey, Don. Remember when you said that if you're a mime and you can record it? <laughs> yeah. I finally figured out who does that. I'm listening. The Blue Man Group. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> you know, when I was little, this is in the early 60s, they used to advertise. Um, it was a gum called Phenomint. I think it was a laxative. I think it was a gum laxative called Phenomint. And they had a mime do the commercial. You know, this, everybody had a black and white TV. I, I never saw a color TV at the time. But it had a mime. And they had a voiceover behind him telling you about Phenomint. And he'd have the box and he'd move his hand and put it over his mouth. And I'm like what is this guy with these black lines on his eyes, you know, those, those vertical lines, and it was really freaky and I, I kept thinking, what is that? Um, anyway, I never saw a mime in real life I found out um, when I was 13 years old that David Bowie was fascinated by mimes, mimes he trained as a mime and there was four pictures of him doing mime which, really? yeah, made sense um, I'll see if I can put those on a blog if I can find them And then I started hearing about people in New York hated mimes and would always, you know, push them. What? They have mimes in New York? Because that was an alien thing where I came from. And it was, I think it was that movie Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman was in. It shows, whatever the movie was, he's going through Central Park and he's mad. And there's a, a mime standing there doing some, you know, trapped in a box or whatever. And he's walking by and he, he backs up and goes over and shoves the mine over I <laughs> what a jerk um, I guess they have a lot of mimes in New York but they didn't have them in Texas <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and if you did mime in Texas I'm sure we would have stood there and watched in amazement instead of shoving you over so you know. Um, also oh, I got um, you. one other thing we, we have t-shirts It's on the sidebar of the blog um if you'd like to support the show, we use it for hosting fees. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Listen. Wear the
0: shirt. Do a MyMac. Record it. Send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to post it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, jump on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Join our conversations on there. Um, come hang out. Find me on Instagram, Rook Murphy. Easy, easy, easy to find. Uh, Other than that, man, thank you all so much for joining us again. We really appreciate everybody, all of the listeners that have made this possible for all these years, all of the amazing creators that have been on to talk with us lately, and we look forward to the next round of creators. Until next time, though. Read. More.
1: Comics.